You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Daniel Howitt's interview with the director for Fire of Love, Sarah Dosa. This is Katya, and this is Maurice. (laughs) Tomorrow will be their last day. They will leave behind hundreds of hours of footage, thousands of photos, and a million questions. Alone, they could only dream of volcanoes. Together, they can reach them. They meet on a blind date at a cafe. From here on out, life will only be volcanoes, volcanoes, volcanoes. C'est très dur de volcanologues qui vivent ensemble parce que c'est très volcanique donc franchement ça fait des éruptions très souvent. <rire> For Katya and Maurice, the unknown is not something to be feared. It is something to go toward. Moi j'aime bien qu'il, par... qu'il marche devant moi. Je me dis s'il si va se tuer, je préfère être avec lui donc. Normalement, je l'ai réussi mieux que ça, franchement. Hein. Volcan, c'est le plus beau, mais ça tue. Un de mes rêves, c'est que les volcans ne tuent plus. Katia et Maurice insisted that this type of close-up study had to be done. Me fait remarquer que nous sommes fous de rester là, et pourtant nous restons. In this world lived a fire, and in this fire, two lovers found a home. Sarah, I am thrilled to talk with you. I heard such amazing things about Fire of Love when it came out at Sundance, and I, I, I didn't go to Sundance, so I only recently got to see it, and I love the film, uh, so thank you so much. Well, thank you for those kind words. It's really, um, yeah, means a lot to me to hear. So the movie follows the crafts uh, who sort of revolutionized like this perception of volcanologists. So when did you first hear about the crafts? Uh, I first learned about, about Katya Maurice when I was researching volcano archives for the last film I directed, which is a film called The Sea and the Unseen. That film takes place in Iceland and it follows the story. It's an observational film that follows the story of an Icelandic woman named Rakenhildur Donsdotter, who is in communication with spirits of nature there. And the story kind of follows her as she's trying to protect this lava field that's about to be destroyed. Um, we thought that archival footage of volcanoes could help to tell um, a certain part of the film. And so when we started researching volcano archives from Iceland, that's when we first stumbled upon Katya and Marie's craft. Um, we very quickly noticed just how spectacular their imagery was, but it was really once we started learning about them as characters and their philosophy towards life that we started to really think like, wow, there could be an, an amazing film about their relationship, not just to each other, but also to the earth. So um, that we kind of took that back in our minds. And actually, after this year and the unseen was finished, um, my team um, and I, we were working on a different film that was supposed to uh, be shot in Siberia when the pandemic hit and we couldn't go to Siberia to shoot the film. And we started thinking like, oh, uh, working on an archival project would be um, a really kind of exciting thing to do at a time when you know we can't do any of our own original production. And we were reminded of Katya and Maurice and thought, wow, at this moment of isolation and fear and uncertainty, how incredible would it be to travel the world through um, these 
fantastic French adventurers um, who could really teach us a lot about courage and, and bravery and, and navigation of uh, the unknown. So um, that's kind of how everything got rolling. Yeah, I love that you 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 kind of refer to them as characters because that's that's really they did kind of craft these characters of of sort. Uh, but on a on a film that distills hundreds of hours of footage, where in the world do you start? Well, first I should say I had the most fantastic editors, Aaron Casper and Jocelyn Chapu, who are just absolute geniuses in my mind and also such joys to to work with. Um, uh, my, uh, I, I had a fabulous team in general. I also had two great producers, Shane Boris and Ina Fitchman and, and fabulous executive producers, um, Jessica Harrop and, and Greg Boosted. Um, so we were kind of like the, the core team that was all making this together. Um, Shane and I actually, um, after doing some initial research about Katya and Maurice, um, we had a writing retreat where we kind of um, wrote the outline for the film and kind of created a map that helped us kind of distill what we were going for. Um, this was really important to us because we really believe there could be hundreds of films made about Katya and Maurice, given how much uh, footage they left behind as well as they, they authored nearly 20 books. And so they left behind tremendous amounts of words too. Um, but we were guided most principally by um, a sentence in one of Maurice's books where he said, for me, Katya and Volcanoes, it is a love story. And for us, we thought, okay, uh, so that this emphasis on love is real and true to them, um, but they don't just see it as love between Katya and Maurice, it's a love triangle between Katya and Maurice and Volcanoes. And so we took that idea of a love triangle um, as kind of our, um, yeah, as the prison through which we decided to explore this story. Um, and that guided the first outline that then became like a very in-depth treatment that then became kind of scripting out scenes. Um, then, though, once we started really watching uh, a ton of the footage, uh, we were met with all kinds of things that disrupted. Um, not necessarily the love story idea, that actually became confirmed, but, but we were met with so many questions. Um, and uh, we started to embrace kind of um, these incongruencies. Um, for example, there's in, in the film, we say that there's three different ways how they met. And um, we didn't necessarily just want to choose the one that fit our are uh, that we liked best we wanted to call out okay there are indiscrepancies and for us that's um speaks a lot about the nature of archival storytelling as well as the process of myth making and we do think of Katya and Maurice as these mythic characters so for us um embracing things like that um even though it was uh uh yeah not neat and tidy it was complex that was important to us to embrace that and have that become part of the, the storytelling as well yeah, the, the the most surprising thing about this film about volcanologists is how playful it is, how, you know, uh, quirky, charming. Uh, that's not what I expected to, to find in a, in a film about volcanologists. And it's wonderful. When did you when did you discover that that was that was going to be the tone of this film, that you were going to kind of replicate the quirky nature uh, of the crafts? Yeah, well, we, we always wanted to make sure they were guiding us you know, um, that everything was always originating from them, their spirit, their, their legacy. Um, but yeah, the more we learned about them, the more like we read their words, um, the more we saw footage where they appeared, we saw just how humorous they were. They were so funny, so playful, um, and also so philosophical. Um, that's something that really showed up is, was how often they grappled, especially with existentialism. Um, there's something that we talked a lot about on the creative team of, um, about what it means when, when you know that your life could be over in an instant, 
like you have to know what's important to you. You and at least for them, they 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 really did choose to live for them what felt like the most meaningful life. Um, and so much of that was on volcanoes. Um, but we always wondered if if being so in touch with you know these forces of creation and destruction um, allowed a sense of freedom. Um, it's like there, there becomes like you, you realize just how small you are in the universe and that enables a, a kind of um, way to um, to let things go, not let the, the small things weigh you down to instead just see what's important in life, who's important in life. Um, and we always wondered if that enabled kind of their sense of lightness and play. Um, they were very serious and very kind um, um, as well. But um we feel like, yeah, uh, we were, it was such a gift to get to see kind of the jokes that they had um, with each other and with other people. And um, in all the research we did, because we, we also, I should say, spoke to a lot of people who worked with them. Um, uh, I spent a day with Marissa's brother, um, uh, Bershon, who lives in France, um, and people just talked about how how funny they were, how, how, what, how big-hearted um, and full of life they really were with each other and with others. Um, so um, also pugnacious and, and very opinionated, uh, but um, I really admire kind of how they chose to, to live life. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's very easy to compare the crafts to someone like Jacques Cousteau. You know, they're the performer kind of attitude that they bring to science and even their outfits were very similar. <laughs> Why do you think the crafts haven't been as well known as as Cousteau over the years? 
I don't know. That's a great question. Um, I, I'm not quite sure. Um, they were certainly very well known in France. There were Zena celebrities there. And a lot of my friends who are French um, or people that I've now met now that the film is out in the world have said, oh, I remember seeing them on um, television when I was a kid. Um, or I had a, a coffee table book that had their photographs in it. And that made me want to go into earth sciences. Or So they were definitely part of the cultural landscape um, in Western Europe and, and specifically in Francophone Europe. Um, but that is something that has kind of always um, been baffling to me about uh, why they weren't as well known as, as Jacques Cousteau um, when they were certainly of that same class. I always wondered, there's a little moment in the film where um, Maurice is talking about the open ocean. He says, like, can when compared to volcanoes, uh, the open ocean sucks and Katya laughs at him. And I always wondered, is, like, is, he, is that like a little dig on Cousteau? Because uh, he was, um, he had rivalries for sure. Um, I see him especially, Katya was more of a peacemaker, but, but um, Maurice had some rivalries. Um, but yeah, that's on my long list of questions that I always would have loved to ask them if, if I could. Well, unless I'm mistaken, there's no new footage shot for this documentary. Is that right? There's a few uh, shots that we shot um, that are new shots. Those um, we, in kind of our effort to make a collage film, there was some kind of like stock footage or found footage that um, we were playing with. Um, for example, like the, the story of them meeting in the cafe. There's some coffee cups that we used sure. to illustrate. So that was originally shot footage where we thought we could just get stock footage or we could actually make it our own. And we worked with a, a, a brilliant cinematographer um, named Pablo Alvarez Mesa, who's based in Montreal, um, who, who shot that. But I think it's maybe like six shots total sure. in the film. I was curious if you, you know, making this film of, about volcanologists, uh, did you did you travel to volcanoes? Kind of get that experience, maybe put yourself in their headspace at all? So we were making the film during, you know, lockdown and during the pandemic and, and we couldn't travel um, until uh, last year when so we uh, got vaccinated and then we decided to be a little bit uh, bolder with our travel. Um, I would have loved to have gone to every volcano possible. Um, but um, we did know that we wanted the materiality of what they left behind to be what the film was, um, not just because it was beautiful and gorgeous, but we thought it was really interesting to interpret kind of the pieces, the scraps of life that, that are left when, when one passes, um, both in their beauty as well as in their limitations. Um, so we knew we didn't want to actually shoot anything new aside from kind of these little fill in the gap um, Places for stock footage shots. Um, but uh, I, um, our team had the good fortune of going to Iceland um, as the Fagrastalfjall eruption was happening last year um, and still is continuing to happen. And, and we got to climb a volcano together and we didn't get as close as Katja and Maurice, but we could see the, the erupting crater. And uh, we heard the sounds, you know, the hissing of the lava as it was hardening and the kind of pops and cracks and booms that just really did surprise us and just taught us so much firsthand about the unpredictability of volcanoes. But I remember like seeing the orange of the lava and my brain couldn't quite compute. It was truly unlike anything I'd ever experienced. And I so viscerally felt that draw towards it um, and felt like I could empathize with just the utter enchantment um, of volcanoes that um, Race and Katya possessed. So um, that one experience taught me a lot and I, I've, I've caught the bug. <laughs> Definitely want to see more volcanoes. 
<laughs> well, I haven't had that experience of seeing a volcano in real life, but the way you described it not being able to compute is really how that there's there's um, uh, so many incredible uh, shots that that they uh, that Maurice was able to capture, but there's this there's one shot that is just so much more remarkable than anything else. Oh, this yeah. wide wide shot of Maurice standing in front of this huge lava uh, uh, explosion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like something out of a Christopher Nolan film. I mean, it is insane. Mm-hmm. Tell me about stumbling on some of these shots and just the mind blowing images you were discovering. It, it was, it, I mean, yeah, mind-blowing is, is the, the best word for it. Um, Slap-jawed. Like, uh, we were just baffled that imagery like this um, not only existed, but that humans could capture it. Um, um, there is such an unmistakable love there. Like, you you can, um, I feel like, same thing too with, with great like paintings or sculpture when you can just there's like that imperceptible way of knowing how passionate an artist is um, when working with their material like we felt that in their photography um and so there's that layer along with just these stunning visuals but I, I remember the first time I got um a tranche of digitized footage because we, we were being sent the footage over the internet and we'd have to download them from an FTP site since we couldn't go to France ourselves. Um so I, I remember like I had a spreadsheet. Um <laughs> I started trying to like note uh just to take notes and organize like what I wanted uh in the film. And I just kept saying, like, this is amazing. This looks like a monster, like use, use, use. And then the next clip I would watch, she'd be like, use use you and so it's just it becomes like almost like worthless because it's like I wanted to use everything because it's also beguiling and, and mysterious and and unlike anything I had seen um but um yeah uh, I could just go on and on but we were just constantly in awe and um in just utter wonderment looking at what they had captured it was such a joy and such a gift to, to get to play with their imagery curiosity is such a persistent theme throughout the story. I missed writing down who said this, but but one of them says, curiosity is stronger than fear. Yeah. And that that also strikes me as a guiding principle for documentarians as well. Uh, so how, how does curiosity drive you as a filmmaker? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, so so that's something that Katya wrote, um, those lines in a book that she and Maurice wrote about um, encountering uh, volcanoes in, in Africa. Um, and uh, yeah, and we have an actor kind of reading those words from Katya's writing in, in that moment in that film. But I, I feel endlessly grateful for getting to work in documentary. I, I feel like I have my dream job. And so much of that is because I get to follow curiosities and get to meet curious people like Katya and Maurice. Um, so I, I feel like for, for me personally, you know, every filmmaker is different. But for me personally, there's sometimes these ideas or questions that I cannot let go of you know it's like my mind is seized by them my my heart is possessed and I have to like know more and more and more and try to untangle um the knots that kind of can open up pathways towards these deeper inquiries and and um and I, I feel like Katya and Maurice and their story allowed me to to like get in touch with that impulse so much more so and to also um to understand like um the role of fear within that um you know, we were making this film during the pandemic and, and fear was everywhere. <laughs> you know, of course it is at all times in life, but I feel like a, on a different global level, we were encountering what fear meant. Um, but to be able to kind of see how they boldly navigated the unknown um, 
even if they didn't know where they were going, they trusted in their like navigation tools, so to speak, to understand how, how to, to get through the world. Um, and that was such inspiration for us as filmmakers being like, there's so many challenges to telling this story and to making this film, but we're going to like be led by our curiosity and be inspired by them and let this process guide us. And, and we'll see what, what, what comes forth from that. But um, yeah, I feel like the way that they kind of chose curiosity over fear and were able to reconcile fear in the face of such unknowns, um, I'll forever be grateful for, for them. They're, they're my greatest teachers in that regard. That's great. Well, as you mentioned, Fire Love was sort of birthed out of work that you were doing in your previous film, The Seer and the Unseen. So now with Fire of Love wrapped up, have you, you know, discovered, do you have another project in, in the works? I have some ideas for other projects, but a lot of them deal with themes that we encountered in Fire of Love. Um, for example, I'm fascinated by kind of the, the cultural and historical as well as political constructions of time. Um, and we have one scene in the film that kind of talks about how uh, kind of uh, the birth of standard time was created out of this colonial and capitalist process um, and how uh, that is very divorced from kind of the, the natural rhythms of the earth and, and geologic time or in our film kind of the, the heartbeats of volcanoes. Um, and that's something that I'm really curious to explore. Um, but I'm also, I feel so spoiled by Katya and Reese's footage. <laughs> like I, I wanna, next projects, I, I wanna chase that feeling of transcendence and, um, and just power um, and majesty that volcanoes can communicate. And the other day, um, my producer and co-writer Shane and I, we were trying to brainstorm like, what, what's what's gonna be next? And we we're like, what can feel like a volcano? And we were like, wind, flying, celestial bodies, love, music. So we were just trying to chase that feeling. And, and um, that was just really kind of a fun brainstorm session for us. But um, uh, but I do think just in general, as a filmmaker, I gravitate towards stories about the human relationship to non-human nature. Um, and I'm always looking for the ways humans are making meaning um, out of and with non-human nature. And so that, that'll certainly be kind of um, at the forefront of whatever comes next. Well, uh, Sarah, thank you so much for your time. And you, you talked about uh, how you could just feel the passion of the crafts when you talk about talk to an artist and share the passion. So I appreciate you sharing your passion with me today. And uh, yeah, thanks again for the film. Uh, thank you so much, Daniel. This is a fun conversation. And I really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Daniel Howitt's interview with the director, writer, and producer for Fire of Love, Sarah Dosa, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Fire of Love is currently playing in theaters from National Geographic Documentary Films and Neon. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and we are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. 